key, I'll say the king's domain. <laughs> That's the name of the sermon. Uh, I'm just, it's just little, you know, they'll teach you in like, uh, when I was in college, you had like a communications class. And they're like, hey, make them repeat. They'll, they'll get more communicative. Honestly, everything I learned when running a kids ministry, I, I also learned that you never stop doing those things. Um, I think the best crowd engagement I've gotten in a long time was last week. <laughs> and last week, I split you guys into three groups and made you guys compete with one another. And the engagement was phenomenal. And the funny thing, why does engagement matter? Uh, because when you're more engaged, you're more attentive, and you remember better. Yeah. Same with taking notes. You should do it. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I want to throw a lot of scripture at you today, uh, but I also pulled back a lot of scripture. Uh, so I'm throwing you uh, less than half of what I had originally planned, but still enough uh, that we have a lot to talk about. Uh, I'm really kind of trying to lay the groundwork of what the kingdom is and, and kind of how we function in it uh, in a broad sense so that over the next several weeks, we can get really specific on specific moments and specific things and specific parables and specific principles of the kingdom. Uh, so the reason why I'm calling it the king's domain is because kingdom, king is a king and dumb is dominion. Uh, kingdom, the king's domain. When you say kingdom, you are literally saying the domain of a king. So when Jesus says repent for the kingdom is at hand, he's saying repent because the domain of the king is present among you. And something crazy starts to happen because the king of kings and the lord of lords has actually set foot on earth. And he says some crazy stuff. We're going to get into it. For instance, he says the kingdom is coming and the kingdom is now. That's nonsense. But so is three in one. So I guess God maybe knows more than I do about these kind of things. Um, can I get, I want to tell you a story. And then after that story, I want to tell you a story about Jesus. And then after that story, I want to read you some scripture. And then after that, we'll see what God does. You know what I'm saying? Um, I used to work at a retirement home. It was the worst. Uh, it's the grumpiest people I have ever seen. Also, the uh, most excited people I had ever seen. <laughs> um, and and can't tell you how many times we had to uh, separate and things. Working there was an adventure. Uh, but what happens when you work at a retirement home, uh, I think it's really when you work anywhere that involves taking care of the same group of people over and over and over and over again. What happens over time is your heart really starts to knit with people. Yeah. People start to really matter uh, to you. Uh, not unlike working in a church or just regularly attending a church and crying together. Right? And I worked at this retirement home, and I was a dishwasher. Uh, and that's actually uh, when I, I, not, I had already known Will Perry, but he had disappeared from my life. And I found him again working at that retirement home. And me and him were both doing dishes. He's not in here, so I won't tell some funny stories. But if he was, I would have told funny stories. Because uh, he did me dirty once or twice. Uh, I wasn't pastor yet. And, and he definitely didn't treat me like pastor yet. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I did the dishes mostly, and then eventually became a server, and then eventually I started doing a bunch of stuff that servers aren't supposed to do uh, because I, was, I really connected with a lot of the, the folk that attended that, uh, that attended that lived there, right. often by force. Um, but there was a man uh, whose name I'll leave out of this who I really, really, really connected with. Um, he was a man of God, older gentleman, and he... Um, he would pray with me. He would speak life. And um, I'll never forget because he was always so kind. And his wife had passed away. Uh, he was always so kind. And he was always so, he stood out amongst the rest of them. And I'll never forget a day when one of those separating moments happened. And we had to separate him, which was outside of his character. And it was in that moment that when he looked at me, I realized I was looking at a stranger. And his mind was starting to go. And he wasn't present uh, anymore. And I knew we were kind of nearing the end. It was, it was obvious. Um, and, and then he passed away. And I remember the impact that it had on me and how much that broke me and messed me up. And um, because I worked in the dining hall, they asked me, because I knew him so well, his family asked me to cater his funeral and be the one that kind of ran the funeral, 
right? Now, I don't know if you've met me before, but I'm a hype man. I get excited. I rile people up. I do that whole thing. And uh, there was also on that same day a birthday that they asked me to also run. And I said, no, I could not do it. And then the birthday person called out, <laughs> the person who's supposed to run it. So they're like, we really need you to run this. Uh, some of the people are even asking for you to run it. So I said, yes. And, and I had to, I think it is one of the, it was one of the most emotionally draining days of my life because it was like, you could feel a difference in the temperature in the room that literally downstairs, uh, there was a birthday party where they were celebrating life and upstairs, you could walk in and it was cold. And what was crazy about the birthday parties is a lot of old people celebrating. And when I went upstairs, it was this man's family. So it was a lot of young people crying. And I remember having to go back and forth and up and down, cold and warm. And I had to, to I, I couldn't be sincere to where my heart was. I had to fake emotions uh, when I came down. Uh, but because I really did love the guy whose birthday was being celebrated. He was a really good man, ordered a milkshake every single day and got mad every single day that we didn't have vanilla because it wasn't a flavor that we had, so I always got him chocolate. And he got mad every single day. And so I got him a vanilla milkshake for his birthday, and he said, I wanted chocolate. I know he was joking, but I'll never forget because, because I couldn't appreciate the joke until later. I think he knew what I was going through, so he was trying to lighten me up a little bit on his birthday. But going back and forth and realizing these worlds do not collide. They don't belong together. God bless you. Someone's like, he died? <laughs> like, it sounded like you were laughing. Um, but, but then uh, I, I do remember going home that day. And I remember just kind of getting into the, the bathroom shower because I lived with a bunch of people. And so you couldn't show how you felt. Uh, so I took a shower, extra long one, and I cried. Um, and I cried a lot because I remember like I was too drained and I honestly was like, I, I don't think anyone should ever have to do that. Um, and then what happens is you find Jesus, right? And you start to realize you have that same cold, warm feeling when you walk outside of a church, if the church is a good Christian church. Like, it, there are times where if you're really convicted by the Holy Spirit, where something rises up in you, you're like, I don't belong here. You're at work and you feel that feeling of like, I can't connect with you. You're, you're at home with your family, the first one saved, and you're realizing suddenly you don't have things in common anymore because who, who, they're connect, who they connected with is, is, is no longer there. He died. And they start to pull that out of you a little bit but with the Holy Spirit, it never really quite works. I don't belong here anymore. You start hearing really cheesy Christianese sayings like, not of this world. I'm just passing through. But it's true. You're not of this world. You are, in fact, just passing through. You do, in fact, not belong here. Your soul is longing for a coming kingdom that though it is present, it is not fully here yet. As Christians, we live for a kingdom that is on its way while still being fully present. We live in a dichotomy that makes no sense. We live in a dichotomy between flesh and soul, right? And I think the hardest things for Christians especially in a society like this where we're so individualistic, is once we find Jesus, instead of either the world or Christianity winning over, we learn to compartmentalize. And I'm worldly here, and I'm Christian here, and I'm 
worldly here and I'm Christian here and I'm a quiet Christian here and I'm a loud Christian here and I evangelize here but I, but I party here and I, and I compromise here and I'm still sleeping with her but, but I'm going to marry her and, and we have this weird thing because we don't belong but we keep compromising. We keep falling in line with a dead man's flesh. We keep going back and forth between a funeral and a birthday. And we're walking between two worlds, and it's why we, we compromise. Because this is where the analogy falls apart. As a Christian, I carry the birthday with me even into the funeral. Right? Um, and I wrote this. Each kingdom, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our God, I wrote this, each kingdom requires our fullness. We cannot and do not belong, and we will never excel in both. The reason why some of your business ventures will never work is because it'll cost you a compromise, and you're not ready to make it just yet. But some of you will, and your business will boom, and your spiritual life will wither. Some of you will make the right choice and really put God first in all things. And then your family will start calling you weird. People will start referring to this church as a cult. Which I'm here for. it, (laughs) Um, Because it really does bring such a lasting change that you find you do not fit in anymore. You do not belong where you once belonged. And it's because God in his faithfulness brought you from something dead into something alive. And I've used this analogy time and time again. When you're so used to unhealthy, being healthy doesn't feel right. I don't know if you've ever broken a bone and then it healed wrong and they had to re-break it. Right? Because the healing process hurts. And when things aren't set right, they got to break. Right? I use my dad's hormone thing as an example often because I think it's one of the most beautiful examples I've ever ran into in my life, uh, that when he started getting on medication for his body to function correctly, he felt sick. And the doctor told him, you've been in pain your entire life. You don't know what it's like to not be in pain. Right? Things like like that. Um, And the same goes when we find Jesus. It really is a battle sometimes to stay on the right path. Because you are standing in a world that desperately wants you to go the wrong way. Or at the very least, just shut up. But Christianity engages culture. It doesn't hide from it. Christianity either changes culture or is killed by the culture. (laughs) Christianity is never insignificant. It's always bringing some kind of change. But I think in America, we've let it become something insignificant. And so we get to Matthew, and we see Jesus. We, we see in Matthew chapter 3, we see that John, not there just yet. Thank you, though. I appreciate the diligence. Um, in Matthew chapter 3, we see John is preaching something. And what is John preaching? John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, the last prophet of the Old Testament, from Jesus' point of view, the greatest prophet of the Old Covenant, although all of us are greater prophets, for we carry the entirety of the Holy Spirit, and we live in what he spoke of, right? Um, John is preaching, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. And then Jesus walks up, and John the Baptist true to his name, baptizes Jesus. And Jesus comes up out of the water, and the Father speaks, and he says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, and I love what John says. John specifies so that you know, and it says, and he remained with him. Right? And so Jesus didn't have this moment where the dove came down, blessed him, and left. The dove came down and never left, because it was a sign 
of the coming kingdom. You look in the Old Testament and men of God had extreme moments where God came, did crazy things, and then God went back up to his throne. But suddenly, for the first time ever, there is a man on this earth that when God ministered to him, he did not leave. That man was, in fact, Jesus, the firstborn of many. And that many is us. And I love this, while just equally as much as I hate it, right? That when the Holy Spirit lands on Jesus, and it says, and the Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness to be tempted. And Jesus gets tempted for a significant amount of time. And when the enemy comes, he's hungry and he's tired. The enemy comes to Jesus and he tempts him three times. And each time Jesus responds with the word of God and recognition of his identity. I think we miss that sometimes. And I think we miss the significance of the temptations that Satan gave to Jesus. Because basically what Satan was saying was, I'll let you bypass the cross. Right? And when later we're going to see Jesus bleeding in a garden, weeping and asking the Father to let the cup pass. You got to know that it shows us the depth of this temptation. One that we overlook and we read over quickly. I mean, I think it's Mark that's just like, and he got tempted anyway, so he just started preaching, right? Like, Mark just jumps over it. Um, but there's like, there's like a depth to that moment. Because three years later, Jesus is going to be weeping because he had a way out and he didn't take it. Well, but the kingdom doesn't take a way out. Right? And, and so Jesus, after being tempted, leaves the wilderness. And it says, the Bible says... Uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says this, and from that time, and that time is Jesus leaving the wilderness. Jesus leaves the wilderness, finds out John the Baptist has been taken to jail. And it says, so from that time on, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What I love is that the Bible says that John the Baptist was in the wilderness baptizing and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus goes into the wilderness, gets baptized, and the Bible says, and then he went into the wilderness. So Jesus goes from wilderness into a deeper wilderness to come out with the message of repent for the kingdom is at hand. I don't quite know the significance of that yet, uh, but I do intend on figuring it out because there's something being said there that I think is going over my head. Uh, but it is an important topic that before Jesus didn't just come onto this, this planet and just start preaching the kingdom. He went through a process, yeah. a process that broke him for one, not broken, but a process that really tempted and strained him for one. And for two, he didn't preach his own message. He inherited a message through baptism. And there's something to be said about that too, that I do believe in a, in a many sharp ways. You cannot carry the message of the kingdom until the Holy Spirit has come within you. And I think a lot of people don't actually have the Holy Spirit in them. They're not actually saved. They just grew up in a culture or a family that believes in Jesus, so they believe in it too. And my proof is go look at all the deconstruction. That is my proof. All these people who are deconstructing, I'm listening to the words, and I'm like, you never, you never knew him. But from that point on, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I want to break this verse down into three points. I want to talk about repentance. I want to talk about kingdom. And I want to talk about being at hand. Right? And then we're going to hit up some other verses. And then we're going to have a good time. Jesus is good. Repent. What does repent mean? To turn around. To change one's mind. Like lost the mic. Uh, to change one's mind. Right? It, it's showing. It, it, like the word picture being seen is someone looking at something and then turning around an entire 180 and going in the opposite direction. And so what I love is that Jesus comes to this earth and he says, repent for the kingdom is at hand. And I think many people would read that and they would go, uh, apologize for your sins because Jesus is here. And while that is partially probably true, 
what he's really saying is change the way you view things because you cannot comprehend the kingdom. And he shows us that again and again when he taught John 3, 16, right? Being born again. And what does the guy say? He says, what? So I have to go back into my mother's womb? Well, no, you're just having a hard time because you haven't repented. You still see this world and you still see this world as if I am coming and redeeming this kingdom. Jesus isn't redeeming this earth. The Bible says he's destroying it. He's making a new one that he's going to reign on. He's redeeming some people on this earth. He's having us preach a message and spread his truth. But this place is going up in smoke. And we call that redemption because it is. Yeah. Because we're not going up in smoke. <laughs> Jesus says something, and I've always loved it. He says, I've come to make war and peace with man. Yes, he's loving and he's kind, but also when the time comes, the only people not being killed are the ones with the cross on the door. Exodus. Only the doors that are marked with the blood of the lamb. Shout out to Jesus. Everything else is going down. Because yes, we serve a very loving God, but we also serve a warrior king. We serve a lion of the tribe of Judah. We serve someone who is in full authority. And on this earth, in his grace and his love, there are times of questioning and struggle. And sorry if it's like a turn or burn message, but it's kingdom. And they'll get nicer as we go. And we're like, oh, the kingdom has miracles. But that's next week or the week after. It's coming. Uh, but really, we need to talk about the kingdom. And here's the thing. When you say the word kingdom, you don't think of America where we vote. You probably think back to something like King Arthur or something. And listen, when you and the king disagree, you die. <laughs> now, our king's a lot more loving, but there's not, like, kingdoms don't involve negotiation. Kingdoms don't involve voting in the ruler. The king's face is on the dollar because he put it there. <laughs> not because later a union decided, well, let's do that so we can remember all the great men who came before us. Like, oh, you're going to remember. <laughs> Kingdoms work different. Here's the thing. When you are perfect and loving and the kindness, the depth of love we see in God, that kind of king is amazing. That's why we love Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Kingdoms don't work in this world because man has fallen and they corrupt easily. And so kings will never work until the perfect one appears. But they have to repent. They have to view things differently. They, they, literally, when Jesus is walking to the cross in the last week of his life, literally his disciples ask them, are we taking Rome now? Yes. And Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you're of. Yes. They're walking through and this village rejects them. And they say, John, right? Because we love John. Oh, he laid on the, the breast of Jesus. So John, oh, the lover... Right? That's what people call him, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That guy, that little doe-eyed lamb goes, hey, do you want us to call down fire and kill all the men and women and children? And Jesus once again says, you don't know what kingdom you're of. And here's the crazy thing. When he's saying you don't know what kingdom you're of, it's because they still really believe they were going to tear down their enemies. And that time is coming, but here's the thing. Jesus wasn't looking at his warriors. He was looking at the priests. He was looking at ambassadors who were going to preach a message. The warriors come later. They got wings and swords and eyes upon ears and heads that look like lions and, <laughs> and eagles and, <laughs> and a dragon showing up. And, and we're, we're <laughs> that's not us. That's not our fight. Like when you see Michael and Michael and Satan finally fight, right? Because in the end times, read Revelation, it's not even God versus Satan. God's like, all right, Michael, take down the pretty boy finally. You know what I'm saying? 
It's like the jock finally gets to beat up the pretty boy, right? And it's like, right, the one who oh, arrayed in, in the fine garments and he's got all the jewels of God and then Michael's like, well, I lead the army, right? Because you're not in Michael's regime. Just think about it. Uh, you're actually supposed to reign over Michael. So why would you be in his army? Think about it. But let's talk about it for a second, right? But now finally he's like, hey, get him. Like not even Jesus is going to roll up and beat Satan because it, it's not an equal battle. Because this world isn't good versus evil. It's literally God waiting back and letting us bring as many people to safety as possible because that's our role. And then the army's coming and that's their role. (laughs) And we have a part to play. And the reason why we fight so much and we identify in so many weird things, again, I want to take it back to you because we don't understand kingdom. So we don't get our role. And for some reason, we think that priests and warriors have anything in common. (laughs) If there was ever an army in this world that tried to go up against Rome in real life, think back in history, and was like, yeah, these are the the monks, and they're also fighters. Rome would have been like, oh, these are the fighters, and they're also fighters. (laughs) And that is how the fight would have been. You ever watch 300? Are we allowed to talk about that in church? I brought more warriors than you. Spartans, what is your profession? Oh, right, that whole thing. And then he's like, I brought more warriors than you. Like, yeah, for real though. <laughs> like that's actually how it works. <laughs> we have our part to play and we are a beautiful and wonderful part of the kingdom. And the Bible even says that those angels are gonna become lower than us and we're gonna reign over them, right? So quit trying to join their ranks. You're not, you're not a ministering spirit. You're not a warrior. You're someone who's gonna reign and rule along with him, a co-heir of righteousness. And you're a priest tearing down. You're an ambassador who brings the kingdom wherever you go. So repent. And I'm not telling you to change the way you think. Like the church isn't handing the baton off to God and then he's going to finish saving everyone. It's not how it's going to work. I mean, I do believe he's coming back for a victorious church. I think that's one thing that people who preach the rapture get wrong. I don't think we're going to be so defeated that God has to pull us out. I actually think we're going to be on such a roll that God removes us so he can finally do what, he's called, what he decided he needs to do. And he's taking a victorious, overwhelmingly victorious, beautiful, united church. Not this beat up in the corner because the world system got us and we just need to be saved. Right? This world can't prevail over us as the church. It's why I believe when the end times really come, God moves us. (laughs) Uh, For the kingdom, right? I already said this. The kingdom is uh, the king's domain, right? Kingdom, king, monarch, dumb, smart. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Dumb, dominion. Kingdom. Uh, so it requires a king, laws, subject, subjects, and an area of ownership, which is a domain. Yeah. Right? Uh, so the king's domain requires a king. Do you know who the king is? It's God. Um, laws, you know what the laws are? Well, now we're in the law of grace. Yeah. And there are laws to this kingdom that must be followed, mm-hmm. that must be obeyed. Uh, what are they for extra credit? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Or, like I said, Jesus brings a new commandment, which is love your neighbor as I have loved you. Which, I always make this distinction. Uh, the first two commandments, one is dealing with the world, and one is dealing with God. And then this new one that Jesus brings along is dealing with the church. right? And so you see our three pillars in these kind of laws of the kingdom. Uh, then we got uh, subjects. Oh, that's us. Uh, kingdoms require subjects. Like a king on a throne with a castle with walls and no one's showing up is not actually a kingdom. Yeah. That's just someone who's crazy. <laughs> and they exist too, probably. Um, oh, I wanted to be one of those people, actually. Uh, so you could actually buy a foot of land in uh, <laughs> is it Scotland. And, and legally, on your driver's license, they would actually change your name to a lord. And like in court, they would have to refer to you as lord something. And for Valentine's Day, it was like 50 bucks. And I really thought about it. 
because I thought it would be awesome to be like, Lord Wesley. <laughs> but I felt my motives weren't right. Because I really would try to like fence off my area and then, you know, be like, and this is, this is my kingdom. And there would be laws and a domain and a king, but there would be no subjects. Um, and lastly is an area of ownership, right? Now, that, this is where we get the kingdom is coming in now. We bring this message. We are filled with the spirit of God. Wherever we walk, we actually bring the kingdom. Uh, but someday there will be no more disputes of land. And it will just be God over all of it. Now, again, the Bible has two kind of conflicting thoughts on this. Thought one is the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Beautiful verse. The Bible also calls Satan the spirit. They talk about the spirit of the age. The God of the times. This kind of concept. And it's, it's going on because there are kingdoms at war. It's just one kingdom really thinks, you know, I don't know. It's like. I feel like in a lot of ways it would be like if like my house and I mean like literally my house was just like me and my wife and Titus and Isla were just like we're gonna take Nevada like I feel like that's the kingdom of God versus like like the enemy uh I just referred to myself as the enemy I guess though for that analogy um Isaiah 9 6 to 7 says for to us a child is born and to us a son is given ready and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Ready? And the increase of his governments and of peace, there will be no end. We can read the rest, but the point is there will be no end. There is literally a time right? Well, the Bible doesn't seem to make this distinction. It's why the disciples were confused, and it's why Jesus was saying repent. Because if you read it, you would probably come to the conclusion that when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's just taking everything. Yeah. But that's not what happened. He showed up on the scene, and he got his people, right. and then he's coming back for land later. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Kingdom. Um, and we'll hit more of that a little bit. And then lastly is at hand, right? Which is a presently moving and taking authority, right? So when Jesus says the kingdom is at hand, and then for some reason he just leaves, mm -hmm. is the kingdom still at hand? And the answer is yes, because now we carry the kingdom. Right. You see Jesus make phrases that we've Christianized really hardcore, but he'll say like, here are the keys of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like, right. which, you know, spoilers for later messages, because we're just we're laying a groundwork. This is more theological than the rest of the series will probably be, but I do think it's important um, that we talk on some topics that maybe uh, maybe are a little tense or we've thought wrong. Or, or truthfully, I think the more obvious thing that's happened is we've come to the conclusion we just haven't really thought about it. And because we haven't really thought about what really is a kingdom, we haven't realized the areas where that concept of kingdom is contradict with other things that we've believed. Because we just haven't really thought too hard about it. Um, but at hand, the kingdom of heaven is at hand right now. You walk in full authority right now. We should be handling, maintaining, and taking the culture right now. We shouldn't be hiding in our churches. We should actually be growing this church. Let me ask you a question. Those of you who have been here longer than a year or two, when's the last time you brought someone new? And if the answer is it's been a little bit, I would say you're not engaging with your culture. And you want to go evangelize in the strip, but your coworkers have never even heard you preach Jesus to them. You know? And it's like, what's, what's more important? Well, I think what's more important is the influence God has given you now. Because you're at hand. Like, our role is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're the at-hand, present portion of the kingdom. Why God says some crazy things like the world will know me by your love for one another. Our love will preach the kingdom. Our worship will preach the kingdom. We don't have to compromise to preach the kingdom. But we can't just let things happen as they will or let things lie as they will. It's why our school systems look like they look. It's why our government looks like it looks. It's why our police forces look like it looks. It's like racism is making a comeback for some reason. Uh, it's because the church has been silent. And she's watched and she's handed authority off to other people who were never going to do good with it because they were contaminated by this world. Does that make sense? I know that's kind of heavy. 
but it's true. So I want to read you through a few verses where I feel I'm calling this like the kingdom road. Uh, I may, that's totally coined by me. I'm stealing it from the concept of the Romans road. Uh, but I want to kind of walk through a few verses throughout scripture and put them together so we can see kind of the kingdom fleshing out a little bit. Right? It started with Isaiah. There are prophecies. Clearly we see in the word of God that there was a coming king. Right? And Jesus came onto the scene and the people showed up and they were laying palm leaves and it's Palm Sunday, which I've always said is one of the most disappointing days in the lives of any follower of Jesus. Because like, why do you think they're laying palm down. Why do you think they're singing Hosanna? Not because they love Jesus, because they love the kingdom that he was going to establish where they got to be in authority and kick the Romans around. And so Jesus shows up and he does go to war. What does he do? He goes into his temple and cleans it out. And then he leaves. Because Jesus came first for his people. He actually hasn't come to dominate the world yet. That is coming. He has come first for a people, a people who will worship him unashamedly and unhindered in spirit and in truth. He came for you. And we're living in the time that the prophets of old begged God to see. Acts 1, uh, this is Jesus has died. He has resurrected. And this is one of the last conversations he had with his disciples. And he says, Acts 1, chapter 3 says this. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. So he proved himself. He didn't have to. He did. He loves us. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So when Jesus Christ resurrected, And he started preaching to his people again. He continued the same message he started with. Kingdom. Jesus gets filled with the Holy Spirit and preaches repent for the kingdom is at hand. Jesus resurrects and is like, I'm going back to the right hand of the Father. Let me make sure you understand the kingdom. Why? Because it is what he came to preach. That's why I believe this series is so important. It's all he preached. Jesus started his ministry with kingdom and he ended it with kingdom. Acts 1, 6 to 8, which is again three verses later. I'm just bunny hopping because he talks about a lot of stuff. Uh, So when they had come together, they asked him. Again, here we go. Literally, Jesus is preaching kingdom to them. He just resurrected. And they're like, hey, uh, are you about to restore Israel? No. No. Because you still think the kingdom is about your clan. Where God envisioned an earth. Some of you think the end times rise and fall with America. Let me tell you, God did not come for the kingdom of America. He came for the kingdom of God. We have a part to play. (laughs) We're not mentioned in the book of Revelation. So, all right. Um, And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. We're talking about a kingdom here. By God's authority. Last verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So when they said, God, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel? He said, no, but I'm anointing you to go take the entire world and bring them in. This isn't Israel. Literally, they say Israel. He says ends of the earth. They say present kingdom. He says power from on high. They're missing the point. But I think most of us do too. That's why when Jesus has the verse of like, do this and you'll be blessed, they're like, oh, so if I mourn, he'll give me a Lamborghini because you still think the blessings are physical when he came for a spiritual kingdom. Show me if I follow God, I'll have a white picket fence and two and a half bath and statistically two and a half children and I'll have a happy marriage and a happy life and a happy wife. You're gonna have like half of that. I'm just kidding. Uh, No, like all that stuff is possible, but it's not promised. Jesus' promise is you'll have me and you'll be a part of a kingdom that will not wither. There'll be no more tears. But you see the dichotomy, what they're struggling with. Jesus affirms that a time is coming where the kingdom will be brought to this earth. 
right? And that, that's something that I love. He does bring it to the ends of the earth, but what does he say? He says, well, they're like, are you restoring Israel? And he says, it's not for you to know the time's fixed by the Lord. What, what is he saying? He's, it's it's going to happen. He didn't say that they're not, he's not coming to take this earth. Because he is. Because the kingdom is both coming and now, but we'll, we'll break through that a little bit more. Uh, John 4, 23 says this, and this is what I've been talking about. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The time is coming and the time is now. Jesus, are you coming or are you now? Are you present or are you on your way? And his answer is yes. Because why not? Because God loves to answer questions like that. Are you for me or against me? No. All right, well, is the kingdom here? Yeah, but it'll be here a little later. Okay, but is it here? No, totally. So you're going to make a kingdom out of us. Well, yeah, later. So is the kingdom here? Yeah. So we're in charge now. No, that's later. You see the confusion? I get why they're questioning. Because Jesus probably had these big sermons about the authority of the kingdom. And they're like getting hyped on it. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, but later. And actually, you guys will be dead. <laughs> All right, whatever. I'm going to bring you back. It is present in the fact that the Holy Spirit is within us. And every time we see someone come to Jesus, the kingdom of darkness gets one person smaller and the kingdom of heaven gets one person bigger. It is here in the fact that we walk in absolute total authority when dealing with principalities, spirits, powers, but it is not here in the sense of a true governmental rule and reign. And let me tell you something, Jesus is doing that too. That is why the kingdom is here, but not full yet. It is fully present, but not fully complete. There really is governments involved in kingdom. But that's not the portion of kingdom that we're operating in now, which is why we have to go win a school instead of just send angels to go kill everyone in the school, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> We're in this time of peace. And I think that the Bible distinguishes it really well when we, we talk about this, when we talk about the Lamb of God and the Lion of the tribe of Judah, right? We're like in the Lamb of God section of the kingdom. We're in like the Lamb of God time period, right? If you're looking at the Bible, they would call it the church age, the age of the church, the age of the Lamb's children, That ain't gonna last. All right, Luke 17, 20 uh, to 21. And I love this because while in the Luke verse and the Acts verse, we see uh, Jesus basically saying that the kingdom is coming. It's not here yet, right? That's the Acts verse where he says that. Like the time isn't now for you to know when the kingdom's gonna appear. But then I love this verse uh, because in Luke 17, 20, uh, and being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways uh, that can be observed, verse 21, uh, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So when the disciples say, is the kingdom coming, he says, it's not time for you to know that. And when the Pharisees say, is the kingdom coming? Jesus says, yeah, it's already here. This isn't a contradiction. There's just different facets of the kingdom. It's a complicated topic. It's why a lot of denominations are half right and half wrong about a lot of things. And honestly, it's such a deep, convoluted topic that it's, it's why I think for many of us, our theology on it will be changing throughout our entire lives. As God reveals, helps us understand his word better. But do we see that walk? Right? Do we, do we see the, the steps where Jesus starts by preaching kingdom and he ends by preaching kingdom? 
Do we see the steps where when his disciples ask him, hey, is the kingdom coming? And he says later. And yet later he's going to say it's already here. And then we see that verse I put in the middle where he says it is coming and now is. Right? And then we see like sometimes like, oh, yeah, it's coming. And sometimes like, yeah, now it is because they're both true. It just depends on the question that they were asking at the moment. And he would answer based on that portion of the kingdom and its presence. And so I think when you would look at that, you, in a lot of ways, you would ask, what is the point? And I already hit up on it, but I want to hit up on it one more time, and I want to really make it clear. The point is actually what we see in the Passover. The point is when the presence of God comes to fully establish his kingdom. Unless there is blood on the door, you don't survive. Because when he comes for the final time, it will be violent. It will not be peaceful. It will not be sweet and it will not be innocent. It will not be something lovely in the sense of how we view it. It will actually be to those of us who just view this doe-eyed God, it will be shocking. Because the Bible literally uses phrases like the ravines will fill with blood. And I know that's heavy. But that's the thing is like, but that's not where we're at. We're at the place where God is giving us time to put blood on the doors, to preach Jesus. Literally in, in the book of, in first, I think it's first Peter, first or second Peter. I know Peter said it, right? Peter literally says that God is holding off the end times so that more people can come into the kingdom. Why hasn't he come and slammed it yet? I'm already saved because there's other people. And the world is so bad, Jesus, come and rescue us now. If he does that, your neighbor is going to hell. And he loves your neighbor too much to answer that prayer. The Bible actually says that we could make the coming of God come sooner if we preached more. If we focused on conversion and discipleship, we would actually see the presence of God in the fullness of his kingdom appear. But because we're hiding in buildings and wondering why the presence of God isn't moving, it's not time for him to show up. And in some places in the world, they really are operating like the church is supposed to. And truthfully, sometimes I think God doesn't show up because he still does love us Americans. And those of us in England, in Russia, in Germany, all the Western folk who thought the megachurch was the answer. He loves us. He loves your sisters and your daughters and your friends, your coworkers enough to work on you and wake you up so you can start preaching the message to them. So we can put blood on one more door. The Bible says it is the will of God for all men to be saved and come upon repentance. But then in other places, Jesus literally says, I will say to you, be gone from me for I never knew you. So we know that though God does want every person to be saved, he will not save every person. Why did God deal with things like this? I don't know. But man, in a lot of senses, I'm glad he, I'm glad he did wait. Because if he would have showed up 10 or 11 years ago, I wouldn't have been a part of this kingdom. My downstairs neighbor that my wife and I have been telling Jesus about, we've been inviting over and having food with, if he showed up tomorrow, they wouldn't, they wouldn't go to heaven. But they will, because we've made it our business. Uh, Colossians 1.3 is how I want to end this. Colossians 1.3 says this, because again, the kingdom is the king's dominion, right? We're with it. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Will you leave that up and never take it down? The coming kingdom is alive and present in us. We no longer belong or fit into this world. We have been fully transferred now to the kingdom of God to be as living ambassadors. And like the old saying goes, we are not of this world. We are just passing through. And my prayer, and I've actually prayed this many times, that like God said about the hall of faith, I pray that he would say it about me.
that the world was not worthy of me. I don't belong to this world. God hasn't called me to weep at funerals. He's called me to bring that birthday wherever I go. And I'll weep with you when you weep. Just like Jesus wept with Lazarus, but I'm, I'm weeping just like Jesus wept. Because I know that there is a coming answer even if I can't see it right now. And I know my part in this kingdom is not to make it through and hope with fingers crossed that I get to heaven. My role in this kingdom is to spread it. Because I'm in a meantime. I am in the middle of two Bible verses. And the reason why God hasn't brought it to fulfillment yet is because he loves me too much. And he loves them too much. He loves my grandfather too much. My mother and my siblings too much. Loves my downstairs neighbors too much. And all of Titus's future classmates, he loves them too much. Maybe he loves Joe Biden too much. And maybe he loves Nancy Pelosi too much. And maybe the inability to see past their own prejudices is holding the kingdom back. Because we haven't prayed as we ought. And we haven't loved as we ought. Because we're too invested in a kingdom that we don't belong to. We're too invested in a funeral that we actually have the power to bring life to. Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. God, I pray for the worship team to come up in Jesus' name. Um, (laughs) I pray that you would move in our hearts. And God, I know that this message um, maybe wasn't exciting or maybe it was too uh, theological but God I I pray you would still pierce our hearts God you're not seeking emotional responses but you're seeking transformed lives but as your word says that as we clean the inside of the cup the outside gets clean and I thank you that through times like this your Holy Spirit cleans us from the inside heal us of brokenness for there's no brokenness in your kingdom heal us of hatred for there is no unforgiveness in your kingdom Heal us of jealousy, for there is no lack in your kingdom. Heal us of lust, for we do not burn in your kingdom. And God, in its place, place purity and justice and kindness and goodness and a dedication to you, Lord. Thank God, even if it points... There were aspects of this message that maybe we didn't agree with. That God, the the overall message would still reign supreme. And that is, God, we are not of this world. We do not belong here. But while we are here, we will spread a kingdom. We will spread the same love that was spread to us. The same forgiveness that was spread to us. And in Jesus' name. I say amen.